Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Good morning. It's great to be here. I only preach once or twice a year, so it's always a slightly terrifying experience. But I also find it very invigorating. It's kind of, I think it's like an ice bath or maybe skydiving or something like that. It may, you know, reminds me I'm alive. Um, so I think preaching is my extreme sport. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through it by your spirit. Please open our hearts to what you have to say to us today. In case you missed it, today we're beginning a new sermon series, our Advent series, Let Every Heart Prepare Him Room. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at encounters with Jesus and uh, from chapter 8 in Matthew. And today we're looking at two encounters. The first is between Jesus and a leper, and the second between a centurion, a Roman centurion and Jesus. Both these men come to Jesus in great need, and for both of them, their encounter with Jesus profoundly changes their situation. So this first encounter takes place when Jesus came down from the mountainside. I grew up on a solid diet of the three-point sermon. Uh, well, Jesus is coming down from a mountainside in Galilee, having given just arguably the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, And it wasn't three points, it was three chapters, well, as we have it in Matthew, chapters 5 to 7. And at the end of chapter 7, Matthew closes off the section by saying this. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Well, in Jesus' day and ever since, Jewish teachers have taught by laying out what their former great teachers have said about different parts of the law. They don't offer a new line of interpretation or their their own thoughts, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, this is what I say to you. Never mind what you've heard from elsewhere, never mind that the text has been read differently for over a thousand years. This is how we have to read it now. Jesus is more than just... Uh, another teacher of the law. He's more than another Moses even, uh, the great prophet who also taught the things of God on a mountainside. Jesus teaches with his own authority. Matthew's next section in chapters 8 and 9 shows us what this authority looks like in practice or on the street. So verse 1, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. But for those of us who followed Jesus for a while, uh, it would be easy to miss the significance of what the leper says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It certainly wasn't a given that Jesus could heal him. In ancient times, leprosy was regarded as virtually incurable, It is a disfiguring skin disease in which the skin begins to rot and eventually fall away. When the king of Israel is asked in two kings to cure the Syrian commander Naaman uh, of leprosy, the king of Israel, he tears his clothes and he says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? 
Jewish rabbis considered the healing of a leper as difficult as raising the dead. So the prospects are not good. Also, it would take a lot for a leper to even approach someone for help because lepers suffered from profound social stigma. Leprosy was not only a terrible disease, but anyone who had it was ceremonially unclean, which meant that they were cut off from all social and religious life. Leprosy forced you to live uh, with other unclean people in a hopeless colony away from the towns. And people believed that anyone inflicted with something as awful as leprosy, leprosy must be extra sinful. Uh, and this, this is a superstition that Jesus refuted. Lepers had to keep their distance, more than 1.5 metres. And if they did approach anyone, they had to call out, unclean, unclean. So this is why the leper says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. His problem was bigger than disease alone. So it's fair to say that if the leper had approached your average Jewish man, he would have rushed for cover, drawing the folds of his outer garment together so as not to become contaminated. And most lepers would have despaired of ever being cleansed. But this leper steps right into Jesus' path and drops to his knees in front of him. It's clear that the leper is confident of Jesus' power to heal him. Maybe he'd seen or heard of Jesus' other miracles, we don't know. But he doesn't assume that Jesus is willing. Well, some of you might remember that back in 2014, I contracted a really serious case of dengue hemorrhagic fever. I include the hemorrhagic, even though I can't say it. I include it for dramatic effect. Um, but it really was bad. <laughs> So bad that the nurses looking after me were worried that my body was going into shock and that I might die. So I was evacuated to Australia. It wasn't just physically, it was emotionally really tough. The problem was not that I didn't know if Jesus could heal me. I knew that he was able. My problem was that I didn't know if he would. Was he willing? Well, Jesus doesn't recoil from the leper, as you would expect of an ordinary Jewish man. Mark's version of this story tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. Verse 4, he reached out his hand and touched the leper. I am willing, be clean. Jesus could have healed him without touching him, but he doesn't hesitate to violate the Jewish taboos and touch an unclean leper. And you can imagine the thrill of warmth and life that comes over him. And instead of Jesus becoming defiled, the leper is instantly and completely healed by Jesus' power and holiness. This Jewish leper is suddenly caught up in a really personal way uh, in God's restoration of his people. I don't know what voting was like for you yesterday. Maybe for you the choice was easy and straightforward. You just got in there and ticked that box. Um, sometimes it's difficult. We want to know, you know, are the candidates, are they able, are they, are they effective? Are they going to be effective to bring change? But we also want to know, do they care? Do they actually care about people? 
Do they care about the right things? Do they just want the votes? When it comes to Jesus, he's capable, he's powerful, but he also cares. He's compassionate. This is what Jesus' authority looks like. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I became a Christian when I was 14, but the seeds of faith were sown when I, uh, as a child, I sat in the big armchair in our living room with a big old King James version of the Bible, and I studied the pictures of Jesus. So what struck me and has always stayed with me is that Jesus was strong in those pictures, but he was also kind. He was able and willing. Uh, so these, these pictures are not from the King James Bible. They're from the Bible translation project I work with, but they remind me of the ones that I loved as a child. And one more. I love this picture that Soren, my eldest son, drew. I think he, I can't remember what age he was, but, and it's a little bit faded. Um, but the little boy is Soren, and towering over him uh, is how he imagines God. Um, and I love it because God is he's so big and in some ways imposing, but he's got kind eyes and this happy smile. Well, Jesus is also enigmatic. After he heals the leper with just a touch and a word, he says to the leper, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Well, Leviticus 14 explains that if leprosy was cured, the person needed to be carefully examined by the priest on duty in the, at the temple in Jerusalem, and they needed to bring the appropriate offering. In this case, it was two birds, and they needed to go through a cleansing ritual. All this before they could be um, pronounced to be clean. So when Jesus tells the man to do these things as a testimony or proof, he means that the priest will confirm to the community that this man has indeed been healed and he can now return to society. So this man didn't just get healed. His, his life changed in every way. He went from being a hopeless outcast to being able to fully participate in social and religious life again. But why does, the, the, why does Jesus tell the leper not to tell anyone? There's a number of different views about this, but one um, plausible explanation is that Jesus, he needs to manage his publicity. In Mark's account of this healing, the man ignores Jesus' instruction and he goes out and he tells people freely, spreading the news. And because of this, Jesus can't enter um, can't enter towns and, and, and cities openly anymore because of the crowds clamouring to be healed. Jesus needs to manage his publicity because his mission is more than miracles, not less, but it's more. Ultimately, Jesus' mission is to bring in God's kingdom. And to do this, he will die on a cross in Jerusalem and rise again. In this kingdom, everyone will experience complete healing, complete restoration. Everywhere he goes, Jesus heals people. He responds to human suffering. And these healings are a window into what he's doing on a bigger canvas. 
but he also needs to preach about this kingdom, so he needs to manage his publicity. Jesus is more than a miracle worker. He's the Messiah, the one who has come to bring eternal healing and restoration to the whole world. But in our lives, we don't, uh, we don't see every prayer for healing answered in the here and now, and that's, that's hard. Sometimes it's really, really hard. But often God does heal, and when he does, like with this leper, we see Jesus' heart, and we see our future with him in perfect wholeness and peace. We see that his heart is for us. We see he's strong and kind, that he's willing and able. My colleague told me about a young Papuan girl who encountered Jesus' love for her. She was given the Gospel of Luke in a comic form. It's the full text of Luke, just with all the fun pictures and stuff. And she read that book over and over again until she'd nearly memorised it. And then she went around telling every member of her family the whole story. The next week at a a local youth gathering, she gave her life to Christ. Through that book and God's spirit working in her, she met Jesus and she made a wide open space in her heart for him. And Jesus moved into her heart and into her neighbourhood Let's look at the second encounter with Jesus. Verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? So like the leper, the centurion is an outsider. Matthew's gospel is very um, much written from a Jewish perspective for a Jewish audience. And from a Jewish perspective, both the leper and the centurion are very unlikely beneficiaries of God's mercy. They're both excluded from fully participating in Israel's worship. The leper because he's unclean and the centurion because he's a Gentile. But the centurion approaches Jesus anyway, asking for help. And it turns out that he has a unique insight into Jesus and into his own situation. In response to Jesus' suggestion that he come to the centurion's home to heal his servant, he says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I, I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So the centurion knows how authority works. All authority in the Roman army was vested in the emperor, so a centurion was part of a chain of uh, command that ultimately led to the emperor himself. So when a centurion gave orders, he was obeyed because he spoke with the authority of the emperor. He can secure action from a distance. But for all his power and influence in his own sphere, the centurion is powerless when it comes to his servant who is suffering and critically ill. And incredibly, he realises that when it comes to disease, Jesus has the same sort of authority that he has over his servants and soldiers. He understands that Jesus spoke with the authority of God. 
and, and he would therefore be obeyed. When he says to Jesus, just say the word, he's saying, I know that the whole world is the sphere of your authority. And he's right. Jesus, he doesn't need to get in the room. He doesn't need to give medicine or cast spells. He doesn't need to shout or wear a power suit or pace the stage with perfect sound and lighting. Perfect sound and lighting are great. Pacing is good too. I can't pace because I need my notes. But Jesus doesn't need any of these things. He just needs a word. The whole universe, every part of life, even death, is under his authority. So nothing is beyond him. And this Gentile centurion knows this. When he says, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, the issue is not his social status. As a commander in the army of the oppressors, the Romans, he had more social status than Jesus. And he speaks with Jesus at this man-to-man level. The issue is that for Jesus as a Jew, entering a Gentile and therefore unclean home, this would have been an even more defiant breach of taboo uh, than Jesus's mixing with tax collectors and prostitutes. And the centurion knows this. And so he says, no, 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 of course not. I couldn't... I couldn't expect you to come under my roof. All I'm asking for is a word of healing, spoken here from where you are. And Jesus exclaims at how remarkable this is. He says, I truly, I tell you, excuse me, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The centurion has a sort of faith that Jesus hasn't found even among his own people. Faith here is not a general religious attitude to life. It's not awareness of a supernatural dimension. Faith is recognising and responding to the fact that the living God has entrusted his authority to Jesus himself. I became a Christian at a youth camp and one of the talks was about how we need to say two yeses to Jesus. Yes to him being our saviour and yes to him being our Lord. And I realised, oh, you know, that I'd said, I'd kind of said the first one, I'd done that. I knew I needed God's forgiveness and that he had died on the cross so that I could be forgiven for my rebellion against him. But I hadn't really said the second yes yet, the one where you say, you, Jesus, you have authority over everything and over my life and I'm making room for you in my life. So back to these these healings. With the leper, Jesus heals and restores a member of Israel. With the centurion, faith in Jesus' authority is spreading to people outside of Israel. In response to the centurion's faith, Jesus says to those who are following him, he says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. In verse 11, Jesus is alluding to the great feast or the great banquet of God's people. It's alluded to in the Old and New Testament, Testaments, and it symbolizes how God's people Israel will celebrate 
God's victory in the new kingdom uh, when, when their Messiah has defeated their enemies. Until this point, though, this celebration was seen as a strictly Jewish affair. The Gentiles would mainly just witness God's blessings. They wouldn't uh, fully participate in the blessings of the new age. And the references about the many coming from the east and the west, these were understood as referring to diaspora Jews returning to Israel. But Jesus turns this on his head. He says, it's the Gentiles who will be called from the east and the west, from the ends of the earth, to feast with the great patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Meanwhile, the subjects of the kingdom, the Jews, will be excluded. Why? Because they haven't had faith in Jesus. That isn't the end of the story for the Jewish nation, of course. Um, there's a lot more that the scriptures have to say about, about that. But the, this tension and reality of the Jewish rejection of the Messiah, as Jesus as the Messiah, is a big theme for Matthew. In chapter 11, verse 5, John the Baptist asks Jesus if he's the Messiah or if they should expect somebody else. And Jesus answered, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. So the leper's cleansing is a mark of the Messiah. Again, Jesus is more than another prophet, more than another Moses, he's the Messiah. And the healing of the centurion's servant is a foreshadowing of what Jesus the Messiah had come for. He's come to bring eternal and complete healing, not just for the Jews, but for everyone. Everyone is invited into his kingdom. I was recently invited to a 50th birthday party. Some of you know this, Megan knows this, because others too actually, because I had a bit of a loud whinge in the car park <laughs> about how I wasn't going to know anyone there. I was going to be a Nigel, no friends, sorry. Any Nigels, it's a perfectly good name. Um, Phil had abandoned me. I mean, he was in Papua down with COVID and malaria, but no excuse. And I knew that I was going to be a Nigel, no friends, because thanks to Facebook events, you can see the invite list and you can see who's going, who's not going, who's a maybe. Uh, and apart from my friend whose party it was, I knew not one single person on any of those lists. So anyway, I, I did go. Um, <laughs> Megan offered to concoct a pastoral emergency at which I was, my immediate presence was required, but it didn't come to that. People had pity on me. I went and I survived. So Jesus's, Jesus's invite list, it's very, very long. Everyone is on that list. For most of us, this divide between the Jews and the Gentiles, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate a whole lot. It's not a division that we think about much. But there are other divides and tensions that are real for us. So think of the person or the group of people in your own context that you would think least likely to be part, become part of God's kingdom. Now be assured that that person, that group of people, are invited. Jesus wants them to encounter him. 
our background, our achievements, our monumental failures, whether you lean to the left or the right, your social status, none of it matters. Maybe you feel on the fringe of church. Maybe you feel on the fringe of life. You're invited. And whether you get a seat at the table depends on how you respond to Jesus. The time for the good news of God's kingdom to go out to everyone is now. It's now. The good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the Saviour, is for everyone. And just to take it back to Bible translation once more, this good news is not just for those who speak English or Mandarin or Spanish. It's also for those who speak languages that you and I have never heard of. And we translate the Bible into people's own preferred languages. Even if with a, with a bit of effort, they could maybe understand the Bible um, in a national language like Indonesian. And we do this because reading the Bible is not just about understanding the text. It's about encountering God. And God wants to come up close and personal. He wants to reach out and touch us right where we are. He doesn't put hurdles in our way. Many times when Papuan people read uh, some of the Bible in Papuan Malay for the first time, they cry. And it's because they're experiencing, they're encountering Jesus directly in a way that they haven't before. Like our Nimboran friend in Papua, Agus, shared about reading the scriptures in his own language. He said, God isn't remote anymore. When he, before when he spoke, we didn't feel anything. But now he's close. Everyone's invited, and as I speak, God is moving into the hearts and he's moving into the neighbourhoods of people everywhere, people who speak every language, who come from every walk of life, those that look like you, those that share the same values as you, and those who are very, very different, who you might be surprised to see on that going list. I don't know about you, but... I'm always getting back on the horse with my health. My problem is that I love junk food. Left unsupervised, I'm like a teenager adrift in a 7-Eleven store with my first Macca's paycheck. And I'm not reaching for that pathetic little bowl of fruit, the front token bowl of one banana and apple. No, no. And I'm learning that it's, it's just about getting back on the horse each time I fall off. And it can be the same with our spiritual lives. We're unreliable, we drift, we doubt, and sometimes catastrophic things happen and we kind of disappear for a while. It's always a good time to come back to Jesus, to make room for him again, to give our lives to him again. So, Let's take this opportunity this morning to step into Jesus' path and encounter him, maybe for the first time, maybe because you need to come back to him, maybe you need his healing or his intervention. After the service, Beck, Megan and Alfie are going to be up the front ready to pray with people. They're friendly, non-threatening, 
mostly. Just kidding. No, they are. Or perhaps you need to just talk to Jesus on your own or with a friend. You might be feeling, I don't want to make room for Jesus or anyone else. That, that sounds scary or tiring. But Jesus is good news because he's not just strong and powerful. He's also kind and compassionate. Opening up our hearts and our lives to Jesus is an unpredictable adventure, but Jesus, our guide, is completely committed to our good and he's completely able to secure it. And the rewards are righteousness, freedom, peace and joy now and forever.